You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. The second challenge was the internal danger. From who? In Medina, the Jewish tribes. The Jewish tribes, specifically Banu Nadir. Banu Nadir, they were one of the three main tribes in the city of Medina. Banu Nadir, after Uhud, they realized that Muslims are probably weak now. Let's conspire. So they started conspiring with Arab tribes they would reveal and expose sensitive national security details about Medina, which is the best best place for the tribes to attack. They would give them a lot of intelligence about the movement of Muslims. And remember, this was a violation of what? Of the treaty they made with the Prophet that the Prophet told them, you're welcome to stay in Medina. We have the spirit of interfaith. I respect your religion, you respect my religion, but don't violate the peace treaty. If you violate the peace treaty, there will be consequences. Unfortunately, they they violated the treaty. They started conspiring with tribes. News reached the Prophet that Banu Nadir is conspiring. Now, had it been any other leader or king, immediately, without needing to take any further steps, he would have gathered a massive army and just decimated them. This is 7th century Arabia. But this is the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet said, let's go and meet them. Let's talk to them. And the Prophet also wanted to gather intelligence to see who were they in contact with, what tribes they were giving them sensitive information. So the Prophet wanted to meet them to see what's going on. He goes to their farmlands, to their village, the village of Banu Nadir. It was right around the city of Medina. Now the Prophet didn't really tell them why he was there. Because remember, it was a visit through which the Prophet wanted to gather some intelligence and see who they're conspiring with. So the Prophet told them, and of course this was one of the intents of the Prophet. The apparent objective of the Prophet in meeting them was to get assistance, financial assistance from them for an incident that warranted the Muslims to pay diya. Basically this this is what happened. Amr ibn Umayyah was on his way back from an expedition. He met two people. These two people were given amnesty by the Muslims. The Prophet had given them amnesty. That you two, we have forgiven you, we don't have a problem with you, we grant you amnesty, don't plot against us, we won't plot against you. So they felt safe, they were leaving the city of Medina. When Amr ibn Umayyah, one of the companions of the Prophet was going back. Now he ignorantly and prematurely attacked them without knowing what happened, without knowing the amnesty. He committed a mistake. He committed a big mistake. He ambushed them and he killed them. Now here you had a Muslim who committed a violation. Now the Prophet was obligated to pay the blood money, the diya to their tribe. The Muslims apologized. They said, we really gave him gave those two amnesty, but this ignorant fool, he's the one who killed them. And please forgive us for that, we'll pay you the blood money. They said, okay, let's settle it that way. 
They realized that it was an accident that happened. It was not something plotted by the Prophet. The Prophet had made an agreement with the Jews of Medina that if a Muslim accidentally kills another person, you the Jews, you also have to chip in by giving the blood money and the diya. Why? Remember the Jews enjoyed the protection of the Muslim state. They would not go to fight, the Muslim warriors would go and fight. They enjoyed peace and security and tranquility. In return the Prophet says, when there are financial burdens like that, you chip in. You're very wealthy, they said okay. So the Prophet went to their fortress and he met their tribal leaders and he told them, you know one of my companions killed two people, they come from a tribe who's friends with you and so we want you to help with the blood money. They warmly greeted the Prophet they said yes absolutely we signed the treaty with you and we know that we're obligated to chip in, don't worry about it, we'll take care of the blood money. In the meantime, inside their fortress, they were, remember those days they were conspiring to somehow kill the Prophet and get rid of the Muslims. In the meantime, some tribal leaders went inside and they said, look, this is our opportunity to kill Muhammad. He's here by our fortress. He's sitting there and the easiest way to kill him is to have someone go on the roof of the fortress and from there throw a heavy boulder and rock on the Prophet and kill him. Simple as that, we'll get rid of him. This is the perfect opportunity. The majority of them agreed. Some of them said no, we disagree. One of their tribal leaders, he said his name was Salam ibn Meshkem. He said don't do that. First of all, this man, this Muhammad somehow mysteriously receives revelation. Believe me, he will know about this plot. We've seen his history, don't mess with him. Even if you don't believe that he's a prophet, he somehow is going to know that you have this plot. So it's not really in our interest. Number two, if we try to kill him, then we clearly have violated the constitution of Medina. That means Muhammad is free to wage war against us, to exile us, to imprison our children and women because they accepted to these terms. The Prophet told them, if you violate the treaty, what do you deserve? They told them, Muhammad, if we violate the treaty, take our women, take our children, kill our men. They themselves signed on that document. So Salam ibn Meshkam, he says, don't do something stupid like that. They quarreled, they argued. In the meantime, the Prophet sensed something's not right. There's heavy movement in the fortress, there's whisperings, something did not sound right. Immediately the Prophet, without notifying anyone, without even consulting his companions, very swiftly, very quickly, he left the scene. And right before he left the scene, Jibra'il descended upon him. Ya Muhammad, in seconds they're going, to, they're going to throw a boulder at you. Run out of this place. So the Prophet made it as if he was looking for something, right? Maybe like looking for an object or looking for someone. So he just got up without saying that he's getting up and he disappeared. So when, when they got the boulder and they're about to throw the boulder on the Prophet, they saw Muhammad is not there. What happened to him? They went and they examined the courtyard of the fortress, they didn't find anyone. The Muslims were there but they couldn't find the Prophet anyone who looked like the Prophet, they couldn't see him. 
So the Prophet escaped to the city of Medina. Then he sent a messenger to his companions that the Prophet is in Medina, come back. Their plot was exposed. Now the tribal leaders were shivering. What do we do? We've clearly violated the constitution of Medina. We've been conspiring with tribes the Prophet found out. And, and the Prophet knew that we're going to kill him with a boulder and now his companions knew. So they were confused, what should we do? Should we go and apologize? One of them said, look, all of you just go and apologize to him. Even declare that you're Muslims, he's going to forgive you. They said, no, we're never going to do something like that. Look at their arrogance. They knew he was a Prophet from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they decided not to ask for any apology. The Prophet sent one of his companions to negotiate with the Jews and he told them, you have clearly violated the constitution of Medina. Muhammad ibn Maslama was dispatched to the Jews, tell the Jews, leave. I'm not going to fight you, I'm not going to imprison you, I'm not going to take your women and children, but here's the orders of Rasulullah you are exiled from Medina, we no longer feel safe, you just tried to kill the Prophet yesterday, we no longer feel safe with you, so just peacefully leave. Now we have different historical analysis as to what exactly happened. Some historians they said they just got together and decided it's just for their best well-being to leave the city of Medina and they left. Some other historians Shaykh al-Mufid also mentions this in his book, he said no, it didn't end that easily. They resisted, they said we're here, we're not going anywhere and we're going to continue resisting the Muslims. So the Prophet sent an army to their fort and basically they imposed a blockade on the fort, putting sanctions on them, pressuring them so they would submit. Most historians say no one got killed, but Shaykh al-Mufid narrates one hadith that says a fight did break out when the Jews wanted to attack those Muslims surrounding their fort and 10 from Banu Nudhir did get killed. So it's not really clearly known to us whether that did actually happen or not, but most historians seem to indicate no fighting happened over there. The Prophet put pressure on them until one morning they gave up. They said, you know what, we're going to surrender, we will leave the city of Medina, so they left. Banu Nadir, this big tribe that lived in the city of Medina, they left the city of Medina. They left their, they took their belongings with them, but the farmlands and the property that they left behind, they kept, uh, the Prophet took it, because according to the law of the Quran, if there is no battle and the Prophet acquires property or a piece of land, he decides what's going to happen to it. The Muslim soldiers don't have a right in it. So the Prophet took their farmlands, and he said, the Muhajireen, they lost their homes and property in Mecca, let's compensate them. So he divided those lands amongst the Muhajireen and he gave it to them. He also gave Abu Dujana, he was extremely poor. He was from the Ansar, from the people of Medina. Abu Dujana al-Ansari, the Prophet also gave him some of that farmland. So this is what happened with Banu Nadir after the Battle of Uhud. This is, you know, uh, between the third and fourth year of the Hijrah. So any questions on um, what happened here? Now was it unfair that the Prophet gave that property to the Muhajireen? 
Remember the document of Medina mentioned very clearly that if they committed treason and the Prophet exiled them, the lands become the property of Muslims. So they knew that. This is not something that the Prophet surprised them with. They knew very well that they would lose their lands if they conspire against the Muslims. So the Prophet took those lands, he never took it to himself. He gave it to the Muhajirin who were homeless because they were basically driven out of their homes from Mecca. They had no place to go. So the Prophet now gave them a piece of land and their situation improved after this incident. Yes, brother. Well, see, during that time, many people probably knew how to farm, but I wouldn't imagine that most of them were farmers. But remember, they had now a valuable piece of property, right? There were crops in it, they could sell those crops, they could bring laborers to work on that field, or they could just sell it and move to a place inside the city of Medina. And that's what a lot of them did. Let's say they had uh, a land of, let's say, 5,000 square feet, let's just say. Let's say they had an acre of land. They would sell half of that land, and buy a small place in Medina next to the mosque of the Prophet and then they would keep the other half as like a vacation place for them on weekends or when the weather was better in the spring and fall they would go there and spend some times during the day. They would either plant trees, um, you know create wells over there and it was a source of income for them. So not all of them were farmers but in, in the end you have a piece of property. So you could now sell parts of it and buy a house in Medina. Yes, brother. How big is Medina? Like, what can we compare it to, like cities today? Like, how, like other than like Medina itself, like, what can we compare it to, like? Medina? Well, today the city of Medina is really big. Um, it's not the same as it was during the time of the Prophet. During the time of the Prophet, you had the center of Medina. It was not too big. Maybe two thousand, three thousand people lived in that area around the Prophet's mosque. Then three miles away to the south, you had the area of Quba. This was a village that was in the Medina area, but it was not directly connected to Medina. It was a distinct place. Today, by the way, Quba is, is, is part of Medina. If you go from the Prophet's mosque to Quba, you don't even feel like you left the city. It's right inside the city because the city has expanded. Then miles outside the city of Medina is where you had these villages and farmlands. So they were a few miles out of the city, but they were in the Yathrib area. But I don't think the construction was connected, meaning from the Prophet's mosque to the farms of Banu Nadir, uh, you probably had just stretches of land or you had just farmland over there. So we can consider it as being the suburbs of Medina.